The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we're lucky enough to have returning to us our good friend, the wonderful neurologist, Dr. Seth Keller. Seth, welcome to Different Brains. Thank you, Hacky. It's a pleasure being here, and I uh, love the conversation and look forward to discuss all these wonderful things that you do and, the, and my colleagues and I do too. So thank you very much. I'm Joe Average Individual, 67 years old, and I want to prevent myself from developing Alzheimer's, okay? Right, right. What are some of the simple tools that I can use that make sense for me to be doing? Well, it, it's, it's actually a marvelous question because it really has a lot to do with health promotion, promoting our health, and, and allowing ourselves to age health in a healthy way. Um, and it, it, it's really everything that we do starting in the young age to, to as we're getting older to do to, to just that is to be healthy when you're older. And there's no doubt that there's a great growing science hacky on, on the uh, brain health and things that absolutely can be done throughout our lifespan to really make ourselves uh, uh, well when we're older in, in our mind. And, and one thing really basically is, is keeping very socially uh, active. There, there's a lot of research that talks about people with interactions and conversations and reading and thinking through and keeping very busy is very good. And that is really working your mind. There's a lot of research, a lot of studies, a lot of information that talked about that, which kind of parlays into uh, the, what people talk about with word games and Sudoku and other kinds of things. So that's kind of really where a lot of that comes from about that working things through. And one example is that what we do naturally in our lives to kind of keep ourselves going is right now, I'll, I'll use an example. You just literally picked up a glass with your right hand automatically and picked it up. So what, what that means is, you, and you probably didn't give it much thought, and here I got my glass too. So you basically have a pathway in your mind of what naturally you use, right-handed or not, pick it up. So that's a pathway that you have formed in your brain. So a way in which we talk to people that I do about people trying to help their pathways in their brain stay healthy is do things differently. So for instance, if you're naturally always using your right hand to pick up your glass, try doing the opposite side. Do it and do that more regularly. That would be the same thing, say, brushing your teeth. If you naturally brush your teeth with one hand, work at the other side. If you're driving a car and you know naturally that you go one direction every time, Next time, maybe try a different way. So what that does, it actually works our brain to learn and use other pathways and it exercises the brain in that fashion. That's number one. Number two is what we, the way we treat our bodies has a big difference. So do we smoke cigarettes? Do we get our blood pressure checked? Do we eat well? Do we not? Are our sugar, diabetes controlled? Everything like that in, is huge in terms of, of brain health. People that have uncontrolled blood pressure problems absolutely have a much higher rate of cognitive brain dysfunction. People that smoke a lot who have a risk of brain dysfunction because of that, absolutely. People have, end up having strokes, worsening memory problems. 
there's no doubt that what we put in our bodies have have an impact. The way we exercise, so if you get your heart rate up on a semi-regular basis throughout your lifespan and not waiting until you're 56 years old, it's not too late, of course, to do that, but trying to do things throughout the lifespan, which is really important for people to realize, why am I doing it now? Why am I putting this effort in now, even though it makes me feel good? You're basically protecting yourself for later, and I guess that might be esoteric, you know, later in life, I'm doing all this work now, 40 years before I get older, 30 years, 20 years. It really makes a difference. You know, for those that are already that age and say, boy, I wish I did this. I wish I did this. But, you know, you'll, you'll learn from that. The key thing, Hacky, is how do you take someone and change their bad habits or I hate to say lazy habits and make them someone that does these things? How do you get someone to go on a, a what we would call a health promotion program? And that's not an easy thing to do, especially in those with developmental disabilities who sometimes need supports. And they need mentors. They need people to look at around them who sometimes may need to support them and be uh, uh, good observers uh, and good role models. And that's something that's very important, too, especially in those that have developmental disabilities that, that you know, go with families or direct supports. Well, you've just given us a natural segue into you and I are both scheduled to be speaking at the 2018 NDSS Down Syndrome Adult Summit. Yes. Uh, the National D Down Syndrome Society, uh, which do they do great work. And um, it's amazing to me the simple tools you just outlined, okay? The most underrated thing, socialization, proper diet, nutrition, activity, exercise. And we can add other things if you can do it get a good amount of sleep, get rid of some stress if you can. Absolutely. All of these tools that do not cost a lot of money, right. but require a, a certain degree of education for all of us to get this out, they work not only for your overall life expectancy and your quality of your life, not just for regarding preventing or improving Alzheimer's, not just for autism, not just for Parkinsonism, and the list goes on and on, not just for PTSD, anxiety, depression, bipolar. And that's what we're trying to do here under different brains umbrella, is to get all of it together to say, look, all of these different silos, let's share our understanding, let's share our research. Now right. you speak very eloquently about the, um, relationship between Down syndrome and development of dementia and Alzheimer's. And one of the reasons you've been such an integral part, along with Steve Perlman and others, of the Special Olympics, which is changing these people's lifestyle. Right. By example, by providing a social and athletic and exercise and diet education and everything. Speak to your involvement with the development of this for that for this particular population. Um, okay. Well, well, basically, I, I come in, I come at it from different perspectives. Uh, a little complicated, but the one, the main one is that I'm the uh, in in my so, so many titles that I have and hats that I wear. I'm the, the co-chair of the National Task Group. You were mentioning that. And that's a big deal for me in my life. It's called the 
National Task Group on Intellectual Disabilities and Dementia Practices, and I'm the national co-chair alongside my colleague, Matthew Janicki. And Matthew Janicki, he's my friend, he's my mentor, he's my partner, he's been in the field of, of uh, uh, aging and developmental disabilities for quite a long time. So he and I had helped create the so-called National Task Group, which is basically a, a group, a multidisciplinary group made of ver a lot of different people from different disciplines who are looking specifically at those with intellectual and developmental disabilities who are aging with a high risk and rate of developing early onset Alzheimer's, which is basically Down syndrome. People with Down syndrome, because the genetic nature of what they have at extra chromosome 21, that extra chromosome 21 creates the accumulation of these abnormal proteins, which are the glue and clogging up the brain leading to Alzheimer's disease. So in people with Down syndrome, there's a greater than 60% chance that by age 60, they already are developing Alzheimer's disease. 60% chance by the time they're six years old to develop Alzheimer's disease, which is, which is terrible. They can even begin having it at 40 or 50 years old. And these are people basically that have had you know, some degree of lifelong disability because they have Down syndrome who are, who, are, who are trying as hard as anything with their supports to live full lives and be valued in their lives. And they're getting support and medicated by their family, by their parents, who they, as they age, are getting older too. So we are not only helping and talking about people with Down syndrome who are facing these adversarial difficulties, but the support network too, who's trying to care for them. Because many years ago, not even that many years ago, Hacky, people with Down syndrome never lived that long because they weren't getting the quality of healthcare. So the issue of people with Down syndrome even developing Alzheimer's disease in the 1980s was no one really thought much about it. 1980, 1980, not that long ago. Now in 2018, 2030, 2050, people, not just us who are baby boomers living longer and will be much like in the United States over 65 a great amount, people with developmental disability, including Down syndrome, are going to live longer. However, because of the early onset of Alzheimer's, it's a huge problem, obviously, for them. Alzheimer's is really a terminal illness. So my group looks at that. And health promotion is huge. So I've been partnering with Special Olympics. So the aspect in the tire of the Special Olympics is that and Special Olympics is really, God bless Special Olympics, is an organization that is really about younger people, sometimes higher level functioning people who are actively involved in competition with their families and supports. But the, the average age of people in Special Olympics in the United States is in their early 20s. Those that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, even though they're living, many cases they, they have not, they've either dropped out of Special Olympics or not part of Special Olympics. And those that are aging in Special Olympics, the information about age and the impact of age upon them is not known. It's not looked at. So the focus that I have, National Task Group, Special Olympics, is trying to bring the awareness of age with an organization like Special Olympics to look at aging athletes. Senior athlete is the moniker. I'll use senior athlete. And so I'm working with various states. Happy. I work specifically with the state, specifically Alaska. So my good friend and colleague, Jim Balamacy, is the executive director of Special Olympics Alaska. I've gone up to Anchorage. We've talked in a summit, an aging summit. They talk about the community provider agencies. They look at family members. 
to do a holistic approach, not only within specialty about changing what they do, but trying to change how they can focus on why do people drop out of specialists? What's inherent in why they're not staying in? It's not all health issues, but if they stay in and they develop the problems of health-related problems due to Alzheimer's and other ones, what can specialists do? What can they do more than they might do now to make the effects of aging, Alzheimer's disease, easier on them and their family to enable them to continue with maybe not competition per se, but maybe health promotive factors, exercise, socialization, those things that you talked about, that's where really they need to be. And that's where I'm at in my work with them. I also work in the AADMD, the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry, a big word, where I'm, I work with my healthcare providers, my healthcare providers, the neurologists, the physicians, who too need to appreciate aging. Aging again, decades ago, we weren't thinking about it. In the United States, Hacky, here you get on my soapbox, in the United States, much of what's been done by our government to support people with developmental disabilities focuses much more on uh, maternal fetal health, meaning the mother that's pregnant, trying to keep them well, the baby that's born, try to make sure they live. The focus on adults and aging adults in particular wasn't done. So there has not been a lot of research. There's not a lot of funding. So across the United States now, even the concept of just aging and developmental population is still barren. It still needs to be worked on, but it requires funding, support, and awareness. And these are things that we try to chop at and grow. You know, we've inadvertently, and it's been all about, let's say, for instance, in autism. Oh, it's all about the little kids. Well, the kids grow into adults. They need jobs, they need to learn skills, they need to maximize right. their potential. Whether it's Down syndrome or autism or cerebral palsy right. and the list goes on and on. It's the spectrum of life. And our phases change. The spectrum of life is huge because certainly things are different every as you're aging. I mean, whether you're a, an infant, a child, adolescent, young adult, older adult, senior adult, each phase of your life is a phase. And with that phase, comes changes both for you as well as around you. And just and it, there shouldn't be a, a bias, a negative stereotype. But but really it is, is that people that are younger may look at older people in a, you know, so, like a negative way because they might look down upon them or less respect for them or maybe subconsciously they don't want to be there. I don't want to get older, so therefore I can negate it. Um, but really what it is is that when people are now living longer in the United States, uh, there's no doubt that as we get older and move from one phase into the later phase of life, it, it's going to be different. The perception, even for us, we were going to have a higher expectation. We're going to have a higher expectation that we want equal rights, equal say, and we're healthy enough where we should be deserve these kinds of things. Because before, the stereotype of an old person you know, is someone, oh, they're, they're useless, they don't have value, we're, you know, they're, they're out there, they're so-called retired in life. And to me, that adds some negative you know, skepticism or, or stereotype towards them. But they're, they're, it's, it's foolish. And I think it's going to change as people are living longer. And, and right now, I'm 56 years old. So when I'm 66, God willing, 76, I'm, hopefully I'm going to be just a little crinkly in my life. But I'm basically going to want to still be very active and, and really get respect in hopefully what I do. So I think you're going to see a cultural change more and more through generations. I really do. Well, that's very encouraging. I do believe it because you're seeing it now. You're seeing it now. 
Well, Dr. Seth Keller, what have we not covered that you would like to cover today? Hmm. Um, well, I, there, there's no doubt that one thing that I care a lot about is education and training for physicians. So much what I do is trying to get the word out to my brethren in neurology and healthcare to try to put the emphasis that people with developmental disabilities have value. Because really what it is, and a lot that I do, is trying to bring the awareness of the people with developmental disabilities have rights, and therefore with rights, that they should deserve good health care. But to have good health care, there has to be training to practitioners. So, so really my feeling a lot about it, what I do is not only providing a service that I personally can do, but spread the wealth. Let others also be able to help out it's, it, we're a small core group. The reality of my colleagues who provide this service of specialty care, we're actually very small. So when you look at people around the United States, it is not a Seth Keller in all these different states or other people like me. So what do they do? Where do they get their specialized neurologic care? Well, the reality is they may not get it happy. So therefore, the reality in the long-term way is to provide further education, training, and awareness Maybe not all specialists will become specialists in developmental disabilities, but it goes to the basis of caring for people who are different, right, Haki? People are different, and therefore they deserve the right, like anybody else, to be listened to, appreciated, and be valued, and therefore for me to care about them as an individual, and therefore me give them every benefit of helping them care for their health. But if you can't relate to them and you cannot appreciate them as people who have value, doesn't go far. It doesn't go far. So that's kind of where I think the bottom line is caring for people as people, no matter how different they may be. Seth, before we leave, tell our audience, if they want to learn more or get in touch with you, how do they do so? Absolutely. The best way to find out about the work that I do and get in touch with me is through my national organization, the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry. And our website is aadmd.org. So that would really be the best way to find me and get information. Dr. Seth Keller, it's been a pleasure to have you return yet once again. Thank you for being with us and enlightening our audience here at Different Brains. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being with you, and I appreciate really providing me the opportunity to discuss all these really important issues. So again, thank you for all that you do. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.